When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. This to me is like the really fascinating material. I don't know what the answer is, but we're looking for patterns. I think we're looking at kind of a type of cosmic alchemy. Actually, I was going to get into this, but uh, there's a movie called Highway of Tears, Texas Highway of Tears. There is, yeah, and I still haven't gotten around to watching it. There's one about the alphabet murders, too, but I haven't watched that either, even though that is on Shudder also, but I will get around to watching that. Right. I watched clips of it before because we did an episode about it, and uh, I watched clips of it, and I was like, that doesn't really look very good, but (laughs) eventually (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I watched the Texas Highway of Tears one today, and I mean, it was it was okay. It was, I'd probably give it like a C. Uh, it's actually directed by the daughter of Michael Mann. Get out! Yeah, so, and it has um, Jeffrey Dean Morgan, of course, you know, it's Negan. Yeah. Sam Worthington, so, and like Chloe Grace Moretz. And there's wow. like, there's a lot of like good people in it. But it's kind of it's kind of like a good like first effort for her, you know. There's some like kind of, right. but she does a lot of like copying her dad's kind of style, 
Yeah. But it, it's, it's, there's a lot of things in it that kind of reminded me a little bit about like a, a Manhunter. Oh, okay. Yeah. I need to rewatch that. I want to do an episode on that because I remember liking that movie a yeah. lot. Yeah. Have you ever seen that, Sergio? No. Have you ever seen Manhunter? No. Okay, so Manhunter is the first Hannibal Lecter movie. No shit. Yeah. But it doesn't have Anthony Hopkins. It's, oh, I can't think of his name now. Yeah, what's that dude's name? I can't remember that actor. So he was in X-Men 2 and he like um, Rushmore and all these, all these, all these other movies. Um, But it was, and it's got the guy that, uh was in monster squad and all the like the big tall guy that's a great actor and yeah. he plays the killer but it was later remade into red dragon yeah yeah because it was so, based on the book red dragon but yeah. they called it manhunter for whatever reason yeah. then when no, they okay. remade later they called it red dragon it's like yeah. william peterson the guy who later went on to csi like yeah. it's a great movie but it's really 80s <laughs> It says FBI criminal profiler Will Graham, played yeah. by William L. Peterson, mm-hmm. is called out of early retirement to assist a serial murder case involving a killer known as the Tooth Fairy, Tom Noonan. Tom Noonan, yep. Okay, there you go. Yeah, and uh, I, that guy, yeah. So we're here to talk about the 1970s in your book, yeah. The Faceless Villain. That's right. Um, So this is going to be for episode two thirty four, but this I'm going to make this your four point five episode for you, Jenny. (laughs) Because you still only got through like half of the (laughs) seven. Well, this will be a good teaser because I think there's some things we're going to talk about here that are not um, that 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 go on through the seventies kind of start in the beginning of the 70s and then go through the 70s and then on into the 80s yeah um which by the way one of the cases we're going to talk about tonight the lady of the dunes well let's talk about that one first actually because this is kind of topical because one of the suspected killers actually died today as we're recording this that's right yeah whitey bulger Bulger? yep that's right yeah, he was the main, uh, he's kind of the main prime suspect. Or kind of the one they talk about all the time. Yeah, he died today. They said that he was killed in prison. Yep. So what is this story with the uh, Lady of the Dunes? Yeah, this actually happened, uh, this was in 1974, matter of fact. It was in the summer. And uh, it happened in Massachusetts. And so it's late July, 1974, and there's this little girl, she's 13 years old. She's out looking for a dog. There's like a, they have a house on Cape Cod and her dog ran off. So she's out looking for the dog and she hears the dog barking. And so she finds the dog and the dog has found a body. And this is this horribly decomposed body Um, this is naked woman. She's lying on a blanket, like just kind of tucked away on off of the side of the beach, off of the path. And she had had like her, uh, jeans and bandana, which I presume she had been wearing and they'd kind of been balled up and stuffed under her head. Um, they think that probably she either knew the killer or was attacked while she was sleeping, uh, because she didn't seem to have struggled or anything like that. 
Um, it looked like she had been killed by, uh, maybe they said like a military entrenching tool, like that someone had taken it and like bashed in the side of her head. Um, also whoever killed her had removed her teeth, um, both of her hands and one of her forearms. Um, so they're thinking that probably that was because they wanted to, you know, forestall identification, perhaps, you know, maybe she was some kind of person that would have identified the killer if they knew who the victim was. So all they knew about her, um, you know, they just called her the lady of the dunes should, they didn't know what her identity was. So they're like, you know, she's about five foot six, about 145 pounds. It's like, she's got reddish hair tied back in a ponytail you know, maybe between 25 and 40 years old, they said, but she could be as old as 49. They're not really sure. Um, she actually, they thought that they'd be able to identify her pretty quickly because she had like some really distinctive like dental work, like dental work that would have cost a lot of uh, money. But, you know, they checked dental records all around the area and didn't really find anything. So, uh, you know, eventually they had to give her an anonymous burial. No one came forward to identify her. Um, but like you said, the main suspect in her murder uh, was James Bulger, known as Whitey Bulger, who's better known as. Um, he had actually been in prison since uh, 2013, I believe. He was convicted of uh, not necessarily murder, but complicity, like in 11 murders um, and a bunch of racketeering charges as well. Um, the reason they thought it was him was because he, um, there was a club nearby and allegedly he had worked like as a hustler, like a gay hustler out of this particular club. And this club had these types of green towels and it was very similar to the type of towel that had been found underneath the body of the lady of the dunes. Uh, also he had the same size shoes as footprints found around the body. And also, uh, you know, he was kind of a gangster, so he often would uh, remove people's teeth, you know, to keep them from being identified. Um, so they thought maybe it was him. But like I said, he, you know, I, he died in prison. He was in uh, Florida prison, I believe, Sumterville, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, he was down there in, uh, yeah, he's in federal prison. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, he'd been there since 2013. And uh, so, like you said, he died today. But uh, he was kind of the prime suspect. I think the only other suspect they had in the crime was um, a guy named ha uh, Haddon Clark, I think was his name. Uh, he's also in prison, uh, well, as last time I checked, that's in Maryland. He killed two people that they know of, a six-year-old girl uh, named Michelle Dore and a 23-year-old woman named Laura Hotelling. And he, um, in 2004, he actually told police, he confessed that he had killed the Lady of the Dunes, but he wouldn't tell them who she was. Um, you know, and evidently they asked him about it and he drew a map that corresponded pretty closely to where the body had been found. And he drew the little body on there and it didn't have any hands, which they thought was kind of interesting because she was found without hands. Um, but the thing about it was that he had some mental health issues. He'd been diagnosed as paranoid schizophrenic. So they weren't, you know, the police weren't really sure how seriously to take the confession, uh, even though he had been convicted of two murders. Um, he said that um, there was this garden like behind, I think it was his grandfather's house. And he said, oh, I buried all this stuff back there and it will, you know, 
kind of give you some evidence or whatever. So they go and they dig it up at last. And the only they found a bunch of stuff back there. It was mostly like jewelry and things like that. They didn't find anything that they could link to the Lady of the Dunes, uh, you know, specifically. But they did find a, a ring, I think, that belonged to one of the victims that they knew that he killed. So they're like, well, maybe this is his like little, you know, burying spot where he buries all the trophies and everything like that. So it's possible that, you know, he could have uh, he could have been the killer as well. But, you know, I, I don't know how they're going on that uh, on that front. And then uh, one kind of interesting thing about this, yeah. and uh, and I put this in my book, but um, in 2015, Joe Hill, uh, who is a horror writer, uh, very famously, he's the son of Stephen King, he said that he was watching the movie Jaws, and one of the extras in the background looked exactly like the facial reconstruction of the unidentified lady of the dunes. And he said, and she was wearing Wrangler jeans and a blue bandana, just like the ones that had been found with the body. Now they said this particular scene had been filmed about a hundred miles, like away from where the body was eventually found. But I, you know, like I said, it seems like the cops are like, yeah, whatever. But I, I think it's kind of interesting that he swears, you know, Joe Hill swears that he saw the person that was the lady in the dunes in the background of this film. And it's like they, so he's like hoping that they'll find out her identity, like from like, you know, trying to find out who the extras on the movie were and stuff like that. But I don't yeah. know that I don't know how deeply they've looked into that, but he insists that that's the same woman. Yeah. Like they're trying to, I think he was trying to see if he could find like a list that would show all the extras or like, cause the they, extras, they, yeah. they have to pay them. Huh? So they have to pay extras, right? Right, so. exactly. Yeah. So she would have been on a list somewhere, you know, and I, there were a lot of them because it was a big crowd scene. But uh, I think it was one of the big crowd scenes that was on the beach, you know, like when the shark first attacked or whatever. But, uh, yeah, so I don't, I don't think they ever pulled any. As far as I know, they still don't know who this woman is. Yeah, that is that is fascinating that he could have yeah. that much attention to detail to, to, to even see that. Well, I think what it was was that he saw like a – like a new blu-ray version where things were like much clearer in the yeah. movie that you really couldn't see individual people in the crowd before and i right. think because of that he was able to 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 see it and notice it maybe um, so it's like he must be better at identifying faces than me because it's like i don't even <laughs> i don't usually even pay attention to people in the background <laughs> right right so yeah. like i've never even noticed like if that happened i could be i could be seeing unidentified murder victims in the background of movies all the time and not even know about it which is kind of sad well do you do you <laughs> that would be kind of scary too like it would be kind of yeah that's um, super creepy i'm sure it's happened oh yeah um <laughs> Did you did, was he interested in the case before that? I guess he would have had to have been. Yeah, because it seemed like he immediately recognized. I mean, they did release new facial reconstructions. They do it like every few years, you know, if we get more like accurate ones and stuff like that. So maybe he had just seen happened to see one. Um I yeah, it's like I don't know how recently he had seen a reconstruction of her face that he would have just happened to be watching Jaws and be like, hey, that's the same woman, you know what I mean? And maybe he was, maybe his mind just recently saw the reconstruction and just kind of molded it onto somebody that was in the background. Because you'd think if he'd saw it, if he saw it years and years ago that he wouldn't make the connection. But, you know. Here's another one that's kind of, that's similar to the Lady of the Dunes. Um, this is Little Miss Lake Panasofsky. Panasofsky, yeah. 
This actually, yeah, this is a Florida, a Florida yeah. one. Yeah. The unidentified victim ones, those are always kind of like creepy because who are these people? Like, did they just like slip in from another dimension? And it's just so weird to me how people, I guess it was co more common, I guess, in the 60s and 70s, people not being identified. You know, people ran away from home and they were hitchhiking. You know, maybe their parents were dead or their parents didn't know where they were or something like that. It seems like nowadays, uh, you know, I guess it still happens now, but it seems like it'd be a lot less likely that you could just disappear off the face of the earth and, you know, and turn up dead and no one would know who you were. But yeah, this uh, this actually happened in uh, Sumter, Sumter County, Florida, uh, Central Florida, which is not that far from us. And uh, it happened in February 1971. And actually, there were two teenage kids and they were walking uh, across a bridge and they looked down and happened to look down into the water and they saw um, a decomposed body of a woman. So they the police come and they fish her out. Um, she's obviously been strangled because there's still a man's belt around her neck. Um, they found her. She was still dressed. She wasn't naked. Uh, they found her. She was wearing a, a green shirt, green plaid pants, and a shawl. Um, she didn't have any ID or anything like that, but she sold jewelry and things like that. Um, they, she had a ring on her hand that might have been a wedding ring. They're not really sure. Um, so she was pretty young. They think she was between 17 and 24, um, pretty small. Um, they think she had at least one kid, uh, maybe two. Um, the, at first, they thought she was either Native American or white. They couldn't really determine what her race was. She had really uh, long, straight, dark hair. Um, again, had extensive dental work, so they were hoping that they would be able to find out who she was. But again, no, no matches in the uh, you know when they searched the dental records around the area. Um, they also thought that she had a bunch of uh, broken ribs when they found her, so they think that whoever strangled her um, had probably knelt on her while they were doing it. Like they just knelt on her chest and then like pulled the belt around her neck. Um, so they called her Little Miss Lake Panasofsky because obviously that's the lake where she was found. Uh, they don't know where she was murdered. Um, she was obviously just dumped off the bridge and into the lake, um, you know, at some point after she was they put it on unsolved mysteries in the 90s uh but that didn't really bring any leads or anything like that now when they actually did later on they were able to do because nowadays they can do that thing like with the fluoridation in the teeth and like all the dna and everything so they can pretty much pinpoint <clears throat> exactly where the person was born or where they grew up or whatever so in 2012 they actually did a really extensive, um, you know, re-examination of the body, and they were able to determine that she actually came from this really small fishing port in Greece, hmm. and that, yeah, and that she had only been in the U.S. Um, less than a year, like before she was murdered. So now that they know, well, this is where she came from. So then they started, um, you know, there's a lot of Greek people that live in uh, Tarpon Springs in Florida. So they kind of like targeted that community. It's like, who is this? Does anybody know her? And also they made like a true crime show in the Greek language that they showed in Greece, you know, so they could get some leads there. And actually this woman did come forward and said that she had gone to school with a girl named Constantina. And she said, we went to the school where they teach you to be like, you know, nannies or domestic servants or whatever, like with a view to going and working overseas, like in other countries. Um, she's like, so this particular woman, 
who knew her was like, I didn't know her super well, but you know, we kind of chummed around in school and stuff. She's like, and then when we graduated, I went off to work in Australia and she went off to work in the U S so they're thinking that possibly this girl is named Constantina. Now, none of her family has come forward or anything like that, but it seems like the timeline matches up. Like when she came to the United States and, you know, her movements after she got here. So they think that maybe this is her, but like I said, they don't know her last name. You know, the, I don't think the witness knew her last name or anything like that. She just knew her. She was like a school friend. So they're kind of hoping that eventually they'll be able to identify her and they'll find out who killed her. If it was just like a random murder, or if it was, you know, some kind of crime of passion or something like that. But yeah, so that was that one. And like I said, still not identified, but it seems like they're getting closer to it, especially since they pinpointed exactly where she came from. That that's that's pretty amazing. Like that's yeah, mostly through like, DNA study, I would I would guess. Yeah, it's really creepy because now it's like I'll read some of them and they'll be like, from the DNA, they determined that this person had, you know, grown up in this area, but then moved before they were a teenager because of like particular. I guess it's like particular stuff like isotopes that are in the water in particular parts of the world, yeah. um, particular plants you know, or pollen or things like that that are in different parts of the world. So they can tell, like, pretty much exactly, like, where people go nowadays. And it's, like, pretty creepy. Well, again, I don't know. It's uh, it's creepy, but in a way it's kind of cool because... That's the Illuminati be... tracking system. <laughs> yeah, I guess it is. <laughs> Wasn't there another one in... Uh, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Was there one in the book, I think, that I read in from 1970 to 74 that was a body with just no head yeah well or were there, there, were, or were there several of those <laughs> there were several of those um there were i think there was one oh shoot um i think there was one in the uk i remember one in the uk nor in uh norfolk okay. i think that's the, it the norfolk that's it. Headless body. yeah yeah. yeah, I don't remember like a lot of the details of Super Thing, but yeah, I remember them finding that. And it, I I remember it had some kind of didn't it? Um, I think the body was like uh, wrapped in this plastic that had like a logo on it that was from some company in Scotland or something. Yes, and that, yes. Yeah, and yeah. then like she was wearing like a nightgown that was from Marks and Spencer, like a peach colored or pink colored nightgown or something. But yeah, she was another one that they never identified. And it's like, they never found the head or anything. It's like, ugh, what the hell? Yeah. Where is that head? Did they eat it? Did they, it's like, ah, where is it? It's just, that, that freaks me out. That makes it a lot, <laughs> a lot harder to identify. Of course, in the Lake, yeah. the Lake Panis. I cannot say this, Blake Panaskovsky or whatever. Yeah. Um, the, uh, they were completely wrong about her like origin when just by looking at her, they thought she was native American. So that like that completely took them in the wrong direction. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, they weren't really sure of her race at the beginning. They said, well, yeah. she could be white. She could be native American. But then when they did the DNA, she's like, Oh, she's not even, she's European. But that you know, was Typically Greek. Almost you know. 40 years later. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it just goes to show like back in the day, you know, and I, and I write about a lot of cases too, where they're just kind of like, well, it's, we didn't see the person do it. It's like fingerprints. That's about it. That's about all they had of fingerprints and blood type. They didn't have DNA. So unless somebody saw you, <laughs> you kind of got away with stuff. <laughs> Two that were associated that I thought were particularly interesting was Dolores 
Pelopina or Delapina. Delapena, yeah. And Jeanette De Palma. Yeah, these two are pretty weird. It's like I don't know because it seems like the wasn't this Florida too, or no, um, this is something no, else. This, this is New Jersey. Okay, okay. okay. Yeah, this was New Sorry. Jersey. Um, actually, the first Dolores Delapena was Philadelphia. Sorry to think then, everything's in Florida. I, yeah. <laughs> It's weird because I was thinking about this the other day when I was going through because I've been working on the um, the audiobook version of yeah. this book. It's taking forever. Holy crap. But, um, you know, because I'm having so many technical difficulties. But I was like, how few of these crimes happened in Florida? And I was like, well, what happened to Florida lately that's just all of a sudden, oh, Florida man, and like all the crazy <laughs> stuff happens here. But it's like before that, it seemed like most of the crimes, and I think I probably mentioned this on the last one that we did about the 60s, was like a bunch of them were in Iowa for some reason. I don't really know why. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was like Iowa and London, Ontario were most of the Iowa, most London, of the cases. And California. There were a lot in California. Yeah. But th that was usually, that was like a handful of killers that, were, that did a whole bunch of them. Something but in yeah. the water. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Did you ever see that van driving around, Jenny? Huh? Do you ever see the van, that van that w was in the news? Did you ever see that driving around in Orlando? <laughs> oh, you sound, you sound like you're talking through a comb with toilet paper across it. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> no, that, that, that van, that, uh, that bomber, the, uh, suspected bomber was driving. Uh-uh, no, I didn't see it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he had a lot of opinions. <laughs> But yeah, this these two, I don't know. Like they seem kind of weird because they they both seem a little bit ritualistic. But I don't know if they're necessarily related. Um, the first one, like I said, this happened, uh, you know, in Philadelphia. Dolores Delapena, she was 17, and um, she went to a Catholic high school. Um, I, although I think she had just graduated. And she had actually, maybe the reason why you thought it was Florida was because right before she was killed, she got back from Florida. Like she'd been uh, okay. on in Florida. And then she came yeah. back home to Philadelphia and got murdered. And this happened in uh, July of 1972. Now, the weird thing is that she's in her neighborhood of Philadelphia, which is called Kensington. And a bunch of witnesses later said, oh, well, we saw some people dragging her into a car and it looked like she was unconscious, but I don't know if nobody called the cops or nobody was alarmed about that. Maybe they just thought she was drunk or some or sick or something like that. And they didn't really think anything of it, but a couple people did see like somebody dragging her into a car. And then later on, um, in Jackson township, this family shows up at their vacation cabin and their dog comes, you know, trotting out of the backyard and he's got a woman's arm hanging out of his mouth like hey look what i found you guys and wow. the family is just horrified oh my God. so then they're like looking around like, where did he get that from and so they're like looking around in the yard and then they find part of a torso and it didn't have any organs in it as though someone had taken all the organs out um, also the arm that they found, like the finger came off. So obviously someone was trying to, um, you know, keep her from being identified. Um, and then, uh, in the Jersey Pine Barrens, which were about eight miles from where the, uh, where the rest of the body was found, this other guy found a pair of legs. So they put all this body together. Um, she never, they never found her head. 
but they did determine uh, that it was Dolores Della Pena um, who had disappeared in July of 1972. Now, probably, I, they think what probably happened to her was that there were rumors that her and her boyfriend were um, used drugs or had stolen money or drugs from a gang of drug dealers, like a bunch of bikers. Um, that was the most persistent rumor at the time. And there was, um, there were also allegedly uh, this gang had dragged her to this warehouse in the Kensington neighborhood, had tortured her. Um, some sources say gang raped her also, and then had beheaded her with a machete um, and then dumped her body in various parts. This was supposed to supposedly a revenge murder uh, for stealing drugs or money from this particular biker gang um, who were drug dealers. So the person that um, confessed to all this, who I think was only a teenager at the time, said, yeah, I was totally there. Like I was in the warehouse when they brought her in and I saw her get beheaded. Um, so, but, you know, by the time he, he named a few of the other suspects, but most of the ones he named were already dead. Uh, so they couldn't really do all that much about it. I, I, evidently, there wasn't really that much um, physical evidence remaining after all that. But the creepy thing about this was that um, a little while after the murder, somebody left like uh, a clay bust like of a woman's head in um, this construction area in New York, like by a library. What in the and, world? Yeah. And they don't know if it's related, but the weird thing was that it had um, like a inscription, like on the back of the statue, like on the back of the statue's head that said, my wife forever, Della Pena. Uh-huh. So they don't know if this, but the, the statue, the face of the statue, like wasn't a 17 year old girl. It was like a middle-aged woman. So they don't know if that just happened to be, you know, if it was someone named Della Pena or if it had anything to do with the Dolores Della Pena case. It just seemed kind of odd that this statue just kind of randomly turned up there. They said it didn't, it looked like it had made been made pretty recently, like someone made it specifically like to leave there. So they thought that was a little odd, but they could never determine like whether it had anything to do with the murder or not. So then, um, you know, yeah, it was really weird. So then there was another one. It was like a little more than a month later, a little less than a month later, actually. Now, since, like I said, she, Dolores Della Pena was actually probably killed in Philadelphia, but a lot of her body was found in New Jersey. But so there was this other one, and this also took place in New Jersey. And this girl was named Jeanette De Palma, and she was 16. Um, she was a high school student. And she was just, she just left her house one night. She was going to her friend's house or something like that. It was like, it was August, you know, beginning of August, 1972. Um, she gets on the train and disappears. So, you know, she never gets to her friend's house. She never comes home. Um, so her parents report her missing, but they don't find her for six weeks. Now, the weird thing about this story, and it was really hard to get, kind of the straight dope about this story because the Jeanette De Palma case has taken on so much folklore uh, in the years since it happened that I wasn't real sure. Like, and when I wrote about it in the book, I was kind of like, well, I'm going to say, you know, what some of the sources said, but I don't know if I necessarily believe like how this, all the, how all this went down. But apparently um, 
Jeanette De Palma was found dead. Now, the same thing happened in her case where she was found after a dog carried the arm, like, to somebody that was nearby, which I thought was kind of weird. I'm like, yeah. these dogs finding bodies. And it had to be a specifically an arm, I guess, because that's the easiest thing to pick up. So the dog just comes running out with an arm. It's like, hey, I found another. It was a different dog, though. So, yeah. It's a- <laughs> Like, that is the weirdest thing. I'm like, of all the random things to happen. So she's, uh, they find her on top of this hill, and it's this quarry, and I guess it's called the Devil's Teeth. I'm not really sure why the quarry is called that. I guess presumably because it's like, you know, has jagged rocks or something at the top. Um, they actually couldn't figure out what the cause of death was. She didn't have any drugs or alcohol in her system. She There was no... Um, obvious signs she hadn't been beaten or shot or stabbed or anything like that. It's just possible she could have been strangled, but they weren't really sure. Um, so they just, you know, on her death certificate, it actually says unknown. So they're not super sure if it's a homicide, but they're guessing it probably is. They just don't know how she was killed. Um, they said one thing that was very weird when they did the postmortem, they said in her body, they found a really high uh, proportion of lead which was very strange. So I don't know if that indicates maybe some kind of poisoning or something of that nature. Um, Now, a lot of the stories about Jeanette De Palma say that when she was found, that she was laid out like in a ritualistic fashion, like somebody had put her body like in the middle of this, um, like they had taken like logs or sticks or something and made like a coffin shape around her. Um, some sources also say that there were all these little like crosses made out of sticks, like kind of put around the coffin, um, that there were trees around the clearing that had like arrows carved on them that were like pointing toward the body, um, you know, and stuff like that. And some sources even go in so far and say, oh, there was like all these occult kind of things around the body or there was like dead animals, like people had sacrificed them and stuff. So, like I said, I'm not sure how much of that is you know, exaggeration. Um, pretty much most of the real sober stuff did say about the coffin thing and the sticks thing. I'm not sure about the dead animals and all the other like satanic kind of stuff around there, but, uh, that's a pretty common part of the story, but it, it seemed like, uh, uh, there was a friend of the family that was, uh, that was a reverend and, um, he said, Oh, you should look into an occult thing and you know, all this other stuff, even though some people think he might've been the one that killed her. So I'm not really sure, but, uh, You know what I mean? So at this stage, really, I don't think other than this homeless guy that kind of lived in the woods that they arrested and kind of uh, questioned for a little while and then they let him go, they really had no clue who had done this. And, you know, over the years, I think the legend has grown that it was like a satanic cult and they sacrificed her for whatever reason and then left her on top of this quarry, which, like I said, is called the Devil's Teeth. So maybe it had some kind of occult significance but you know who knows and like i said i there's a lot about it in um weird new jersey uh mark moran i think they they do a magazine and i think they did a book also uh as far as i know because i got some of the information out of there but uh, he's real interested in the case so he wrote a lot about it yeah this is the time period where like the uh the satanic panic is start is getting started yeah yeah around yep. that time like after rosemary's baby the exorcist movies that kind of that that whole thing kind of gets started so yeah yeah and i and i love that topic like still even though we've been doing you know our podcast for 
more than two years, our second episode that we did about the satanic panic is still one of my favorite episodes. Oh yeah. You guys did a really good job on that. That I, was awesome. I'm just so fascinated by that time period. It's like, I want to do a revisit because there was so much that I left out that I kind of wanted to get into. Um, you know, now that we do like the longer format, I feel like I could probably get more into it and go more into, you know, more into detail about some of the cases and stuff. So I'm really like pretty much any case that I read, because there were a few in the book, um, any case where it's like, oh, it was an occult or it was a cult sacrifice. I'm always really, really leery of that type of thing. Um, it really does. There's a couple where I'm just kind of like, oh, maybe, you know what I mean? Just because they were so weird, but generally I think that that's not usually the case, but you know, it does happen. I just think it's like a much smaller percentage than people might think. There, there was a couple that was in the, um, uh, chapter in 1969 of course this is out of kind of more purview but there's there was uh two murders of women that had to do with like babylonian stuff or something that was weird yeah that's right yeah it was like some yeah it was like some kind of like weird funerary practices like with the red yeah and stuff like that yeah and like the carpets over the face and stuff i, I was kind of <laughs> thinking maybe just because she was a student and she studied that kind of thing i was thinking maybe that had contributed to her death. But like I said, I think it's, I think it's really unusual if it does happen. I'm not saying it never happens. I just think it's pretty unusual. Yeah. Seems like something that people like to, uh, embellish anything with, though. Me and Adam been seeing a lot of the revisit of a lot of those satanic panic ideas. And it's still very much around in the current conspiracy culture. It's really like had this resurgence, but yeah, it does. It really does. Yeah. I'm just, I'm, I'm just so skeptical of like, conspiracy theories in general a small conspiracies i can buy that if it's only like a few people okay but it's like once you're getting to these big global conspiracies like you know there's a huge cabal of like people like all over the world i'm just like that would not that would not work because i know how humans are it's like someone would blab it's like someone would find out about it it's just like it's too it's too big to keep it a secret you know what i mean there's probably like 20 cabals going at it pretty much right. that's what i think that's what i mean it's like i'm not saying there's not cabals but they're small yeah. if they're if they right. exist they're small. i don't think there's like big like globe spanning ones i just sacrificing I just think thousands of babies every year you don't think so <laughs> yeah that was the one thing about the satanic panic stuff that didn't quite add up was when they were talking about all the baby like the 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 they would get the girls pregnant and they would have the babies to sacrifice and the fbi later yeah. came in and they did investigate and they said well where are the where, where are all these graves like you know from all this testimony and there's other things yeah. that have been proven of just how um a lot of it was fake that uh that, that these kids were our, our kids were being like encouraged to make make stuff up and all kinds of stuff yeah especially like the mcmartin preschool case and stuff like that i mean some of these people went to prison i mean because yeah. of these like little kids these outlandish stories that couldn't possibly be true but you know it's and it just like ruined people's lives ridiculous right, right. <laughs> um let's talk about uh, a couple of family murders. So we have the Peak family, yeah, and the Diggs family. And you've got okay. a few of these stories in the book um, of murders of entire families. Yeah, those freaked me out. And we, yeah, we did. Um, 
actually one of our hundredth episode we did um, several family massacres, and those were like for some reason they're really fascinating to me, but they're also like super super depressing because I'm like, what kind of person? Like it's terrible enough to just like you know you know just stab a random woman on the street, but to like calculatingly like go inside a house and kill you know mom dad kids sometimes dog it's like yeah what kind of yeah the dog the cat you know oh like well you know when like the bowles family like what they were murdered up at their cat and it's like they killed you know the mom the dad their two boys and their dog it's like for they don't even know why it's like somebody just walked in and shot them all just no reason not that they know of anyway but it's just scary. It's like, yeah, some just like really, really frightening. But um, yeah, let's talk about the uh, the Peak family. Cool. Um, they actually uh, this happened in Nebraska, so again, Midwest. Um, this happened, I think, in ni- yeah, 1972 in September. Now, interestingly, Bill Peak, who was the patriarch of the family, he was um, a retired Army colonel. And he had previously been a military attache to Hungary and to Russia. So I'm not sure if that had anything to do with his murder, but I don't know. Um, so he, but he was retired. Uh, he had a wife named Bernice and they had a teenage daughter, Barbara. She was 14. And they decided to move to Nebraska and they were going to buy, like Bernice's family owned a branch, like a, um, like a chain of grocery stores called Allen's Grocery Store. So they decided they were going to buy a franchise and they were going to open a store up in uh, Grand Island, Nebraska. So they bought the land and they were going to, they hadn't started building the store yet, but they were going to go get all the permits. Now, two days before they were supposed to go get the permits, um, Bill's dad or Bernice's dad comes over to the house, like to watch the game on TV or whatever. And he comes in the house and all three of the, all three of the family members are dead. They've all been shot with a 22 caliber gun. So this, okay. So the dad and the teenage daughter are both dead. Bernice was still alive. Um, she got shot in the face. Now they took her to the hospital um, she died two months later, but all she had, all she had been able to tell the police was that there was more than one killer. It was multiple assailants. So they know that probably this was not robbery. They did find, uh, the dad bill, his wallet was found outside the house, but all the credit cards were still in it. They didn't know if there was any cash in it that had been taken, but nobody took his credit cards. Um, nobody went through their house. It wasn't ransacked or anything like that. Um, and the, the mom and the daughter hadn't been raped. So obviously somebody just walked in and shot them all. And they think that whoever walked in, um, they said it was probably someone they knew because where the bodies were found, um, they said Bill had like a cigarette and like a lighter, like underneath him, like he'd just been sitting there lighting up a cigarette when this person or people just walked in and started shooting at them. So they, they don't know if it was someone they knew or if it was just some people that they didn't have any reason to fear because these people just came in and started shooting and nobody seemed to have struggled or moved or anything like that. So, you know, they're not sure really what they couldn't find any evidence of any kind of, you know, there was no mob involvement. There didn't seem to be any drug, you know, anything with drugs going on or anything like that. 
Um, for a while, they even thought maybe it was a murder-suicide, like maybe Bill had killed them and then killed himself, but they couldn't really establish that that was the case, and the family was like, no, he would have never done that. And I don't think, I mean, the way he was shot, it didn't really look very likely that he could have shot himself anyway. But, you know, as far as I know, they they really, they, they have some family members that are still kind of looking into it and still trying to keep the case alive and everything like that, but... They really don't have much idea either. You know, some of them think maybe it was some stalker that was after the teenage girl for whatever reason, or, you know, maybe the, I think the Peaks had an older do daughter that was away at college or lived, you know, away from them. Maybe it was some of her friends, you know, for whatever reason, although that seemed like hippie hate. Uh, <laughs> what those, oh, those, those long-haired freaks that the older daughter hung out with, maybe it was some of them. So it that seemed a little bit like that. So I don't know why there would be any reason for anybody to just come in and shoot the whole family like that. But yeah, so that was another one. And like I said, that happened in Nebraska again, not Florida. <laughs> him being, him being political though, at that time with those countries, I mean, that's in the, you know, assassination style squad with 22s. It's, I mean, it sounds pretty to the co conspiracists, you know, that, that's like, Whoa, something was going on. Yeah. And I kind of feel like maybe, I mean, the only thing I can think of is maybe, the maybe the dad had done something to piss someone off at some point, or maybe he knew something that he wasn't supposed to know. I mean, particularly, you know, concerning his military career or something like that. I mean, that kind of stuff does happen. So, yeah. and I mean, I can't really think of any better reason why anyone would just come in and start blowing them all away. So, you know, maybe I'm, I'm assuming that they looked into that and didn't really find anything or couldn't find anything along that line. So who knows? And the uh, the Diggs family was the other one. Yeah, the Diggs family. This also happened in New Jersey. We're also we're all doing Midwest and New Jersey today. Um, the Diggs were actually um, they were a black family, and this was in 1975. They had just moved to Teaneck, New Jersey. They had previously lived in uh, New York City. Um, they moved into a pretty much all white neighborhood. Um, it didn't seem like anybody was. Uh, was not cool with it. it, you know, from all accounts, they, you know, their neighbors liked them. They were very well respected. Um, the dad who was Wesley Diggs, he actually owned four bars, um, in, you know, Manhattan and various other locations. Uh, the most popular one was called Diggs Den and it was in Harlem. And they had actually bought a house out in Teaneck cause they kind of wanted to get away from, you know, the rat race in New York and everything. So, Wesley is kind of he's commuting back and forth to New York City. Um, you know, he's he works a lot. Like I said, he has four bars, so he's kind of going back and forth and managing all of them. Uh, his wife sells Avon. They also had um, four kids. Uh, some of them were grown or teenagers. Uh, they had a daughter named Audrey who was 19. Uh, they had one named uh, Allison who was 16. Wesley Jr. was 12, and Roger was five. Now. This happened uh, in December of 1975, and Wesley Diggs, the dad, he comes home from work, and it's fairly early in the afternoon, about 4 o'clock, and so he comes in the house, and it's really, really quiet, and he thinks that's really weird, so he goes into his daughter Audrey's room, which was the closest to the front door, and he sees her lying on her bedroom floor, and she has obviously been shot in the head. There's just a huge pool of blood. So he runs next door to his neighbor's house. One of his neighbors was a nurse, and he said, Audrey's hurt, you know, please call the police and, you know, call the ambulance and everything like that. 
So they all come back over to the house, like to help him out. And then they find the rest of the family. So Allison, who is the 16 year old, um, she was in her bedroom in the attic and she'd also been shot twice in the head, same gun. It was also a 22 caliber uh, automatic pistol. Um, Roger, who was the five-year-old, and Wesley Jr., they actually shared a room. Um, they'd also been shot multiple times, and then they found um, Wesley's wife, Jean. She was down in the basement. They had, like, a rec room down there. Um, she'd been shot in the head and the chest. Um, again, no ransacking of the house, so no robbery. Um, no one had broken in, so whoever it was had either, either the door had been unlocked or they had been let in or they knew them. Um, it seemed like no one had struggled or tried to run away. Uh, so it just seemed like whoever it was had just come in and just started shooting the people wherever they were, um, you know, cause they were all just sitting in their bedrooms. So the first thing that the authorities thought was, well, maybe the dad, Wesley Diggs, maybe he hired somebody like to kill his family for whatever reason. Um, so they kind of put him through the ringer, gave him polygraph tests and everything like that. Um, they determined that, you know, he didn't seem like he was lying. He seemed like he really didn't know anything about it. And he was like super really upset. So they were like, well, they probably imagined that it wasn't him. And, um, he even actually wanted to get the FBI involved, although I don't know how involved they got, but the next, uh, kind of avenue that they pursued was, well, maybe it has something to do with some kind of shady dealings at, you know, one of the taverns that Wesley owns. Um, there had been kind of, um, a couple other murders that had sort of happened, you know, tangentially to the taverns that he had. There was one that happened on, um, December 10th, I think, which was, you know, only five days after the Diggs family was killed. It was this heroin dealer got murdered. It didn't really have anything to do with the, with, uh, Wesley Diggs's bars per se, but it happened like really nearby. It happened like in a bar nearby. Um, and also the, um, there was another guy named Daryl Skullark, I think is how you pronounce his name. And he'd actually been killed. He'd been kicked out of one of Wesley's taverns, the Diggs den in Harlem. Um, not long before it happened, but then he went to the Apollo theater in Harlem and he got shot dead on the same day, um, as the family was murdered. So they didn't know mm. if there was some kind of relation there, like maybe he did it and then ran off or then maybe the same person did it. So, you know, the, other than that, they don't really know. They're like, yeah, it could have been a mob. It could have been a racial thing. They said, um, it did happen sometimes that particularly, um, black families that lived in kind of upper middle class white neighborhoods. Uh, sometimes people would get resentful about that. Um, you know, there were a couple other cases in the book that were, that was actually the case. Yeah. Um, somebody came and just kind of assassinated them because they were jealous or because they didn't want them living there for whatever reason. So they're like, that could have been a factor as well. Um, you know, sad thing is they never did find out who killed the family. And, uh, the dad actually died many years ago in 1987 and, uh, they, and he never got to know who killed all his entire family. So that's, um, a bummer. You know, dealing with the decades that you're writing about, you, you know, one of the things that we did not talk about in the last show was just how many of those unsolved civil rights related murders there were in the 60s especially down here in the south so many yeah Yeah, there were really a lot of them particularly in mississippi and louisiana and i think a lot of that had to do with 
because a lot of the law enforcement, particularly, it, was, it happened, it was mostly like uh, centered around just a, kind of a few towns. And I think a lot of the law enforcement there, you know, were in the KKK. And so they kind of had connections. Um, a lot of the people that were killed that I talked about in this book, particularly like, um, you know, I think Clarence Triggs and Lewis Allen and people like that. Um, you know, I think a lot of times their killers either might have been cops or might have been cop affiliated, um, oh, yeah. you know, were family members of cops. So, you know, I, I feel like there was kind of this, you know, again, I don't want to use the word conspiracy, but, you know, a kind of conspiracy to just kind of bump off these particular people they didn't like. You know, it's particularly people that, um, you know, worked in factories and were kind of because, you know, blacks had their own unions where they were trying to get equal pay and they were trying to, you know, you know, it was like we don't want to drink out of separate fountains or use separate bathrooms or anything like that, you know, where they worked. So, you know, I feel like if their membership in, in the unions kind of made them a target. So a lot of times they were assassinated. There was a particularly one I wrote about in my book, uh, Warless Jackson, I think his name was. He was actually killed by a car bomb. And they think that, you know, like they somebody at his work probably did it, like planted it in his car while it was at the parking lot and then it blew up on the way home. But uh, yeah, because because there was a lot of Klan members like working at the same factory as him and they didn't like it that he had gotten a promotion that they thought should have gone to a white guy. And there was also another one, I think, I think this was in Detroit. Uh, he's actually an author. That Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, him and his girlfriend got killed. Uh, same kind of thing. I think that might have been more, um, I, I don't know if it was necessarily drug-related or because I think that he had a tendency, because he was in and out of prison a lot when he was uh, growing up, and I think that he liked to, once he kind of established his writing career, he liked to use people that he knew from prison, like other criminals, like as characters in his book. And I don't think he was all that circumspect about changing their identities all that much. So I think there might have been a thing where somebody just got mad at him. And when they get out of prison, they just said, well, I'm just going to go take care of that. Or he he had had problems with heroin addiction also. So that might have also been a factor. But yeah, him and his girlfriend were both killed. Donald Goins, I think his name was right. Yeah. Okay. And Shirley Saylor was the girl. Do you know him, Sergio? Yeah, Goins is real well known for like a yeah, yeah. big epic like gangster uh, yep. novels in the seventies. Yep. Along with, he had more like the gangster element to Iceberg Slim, more on the Piven stuff. Okay. Yeah. 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 You mentioned Iceberg Slim. I think was I think Dave Chappelle talked about Iceberg Slim in one of his uh, stand up. That's just an aside. Yeah, one of his recent stand ups. Um. So here's where I want to go with this. Um, let's talk about the freeway phantom. And I want to kind of lead this into these other kind of similar, these similar murder sprees, like the Texas Killing Fields, Highway of Tears, yeah. um, the Santa Rosa Hitchhiker murders, the Alphabet murders. All of these are very similar in that it's just a series. Uh, it's it's all little girls or women that are being being killed. Yeah. And it's weird because I feel like a lot of these, I mean, the Freeway Phantom, they're pretty sure that that was one guy. But, you know, Texas Killing Fields, Santa Rosa Hitchhiker Murders, they're not entirely sure how many killers that is. You know what I mean? It's It's definitely, well, almost definitely not one serial killer it might be more than one and they're just kind of happen to use the area as a dumping ground because it's a good area for 
picking people up because there's a lot of people hitchhiking or a lot of people that are prostitutes. It's like a area. And then it's like a good kind of a remote area. It has like a lot of things that serial killers like, I guess, like all in one area. So it seems like more than one user. Yeah. Yeah. But the freeway phantom though, I mean the MO on these, it was actually six murders and they're pretty sure this was all the same dude because they all seemed very, very similar. Um, and it took place in a pretty short uh, time period. It was like from spring of 1971 through fall of 1972. Um, and the first one of these victims are all like uh, young girls this is in uh, Washington, D.C. <clears throat> in a kind of a small area. All of the victims were uh, young teenage black girls. Uh, they th So they think that the killer was probably also African-American, um, despite one of the victims saying he was white. But um, so the first one, the first victim was actually 13. Her name was Carol Spinks. And this happened a lot too. The, the um, victims were almost all abducted while they were just walking to the store, like they were just walking a couple blocks to the store, like to get groceries or whatever, and then they would disappear. And that's what happened to Carol Spinks. She just went, it was like afternoon or something like that. She's going to a 7-Eleven to get a couple of groceries for her um, sister, and she gets kidnapped on the way home. And then they found her body about uh, six days later. She was just like on the side of a road. She had been raped and strangled. Um, then there was another one, like a month later in July, uh, her name was Darlenia Jackson and she was 16 and she was actually going to her job. She worked at a recreation center, uh, for the summer and they actually think there was a witness that reported seeing her in uh, a black car, like an old big black car and that there was an African American man driving the car. Um, so that was the last time <clears throat> that she was seen alive. Um, <clears throat> Almost two weeks later, they found her body only about 15 feet away from where the first victim had been found uh, by the side of the road. They couldn't actually tell how she had died because her body was too decomposed. Um, but they did think that it was probably strangulation, but they weren't entirely certain. Um, the creepiest victim, like the, the creepiest thing that happened with one of the victims was the next one. And that happened like only a couple weeks later. Um, this girl was named Brenda Crockett and she was only 10 years old. Um, again, she went to the store, like her mother asked her to go to the store. It was only a couple blocks away. Um, she disappeared. And then three hours later, the phone in the house rings and it's Brenda. And she says that she is with a white man. Um, she said, a white man picked me up. I'm coming home in a cab and then she said something really weird, like, did my mother see me? And her sister had answered hmm. the phone. She was like, well, how could your mom see you? It's like, we don't know where you are. It's like, we're looking for you. And so then, like, apparently there was, like, footsteps in the background and she hung the phone up. And then, like, a little while later, the phone rings again and it's her again. Now, this time, Brenda's mom's boyfriend answered the phone and was like, you know, where are you? She's like, I don't know. I'm in this house and there's this white guy here. I think I'm in Virginia and then she says, you know, the, the boyfriend's like, well, let me talk to him. And then she's like, um, bye, I'll see you. And then she hung the phone up. And then a couple hours after that, they found her body just like laying on the side of um, a parkway. And she had also been raped and strangled. So at this stage, they're thinking 
they they didn't really think the girl was in Virginia, obviously. Um, and they also didn't think the killer was white. They said they think that the killer probably told her to say that, like, so it would throw the police off the trail. You know what I mean? Because the, the witness that had seen the second victim said they saw her with a black man. And usually, as I said, serial killers usually, like they say in Silence of the Lamb, serial killers usually hunt within their own ethnic groups. So that's what they were, uh, that's what they were thinking was going on. Um, the next girl was 12. And again, her name was uh, Nina Moshia Yates, again, walking home from a store. In October of 1971, she was also kidnapped, raped, strangled. Um, and she actually was found just a couple hours after um, she was abducted. And this, at this stage, they figured this is the same person. And this is when they started calling him the Freeway Phantom. And that's when the name came out in the press. Mm. And apparently, once the name came out in the press, much like the Zodiac, the guy decides he's going to roll with it. So the next one that happened in uh, November of 1971, this was like a slightly older girl, uh, Brenda Woodward. She was 18. And she actually, um, she was at her friend's house and then she was taking a bus home, and then she never came home. And then six hours after she was reported missing, they found her body. She had been stabbed and also strangled. Um, they found her like near an access ramp off a highway. And the they had taken the killer had taken her coat off and kind of put it over her. And in the pocket of the coat, there was this really weird note, and it said, this is tantamount to my insensitivity to people, especially women. I will admit the others when you catch me, if you can, Freeway Phantom. And it was in the girl's handwriting. So, I mean, were what looked like the girl's handwriting. So they think that the killer, like, dictated it to her. And then Whoa. there was... Yeah, right. He didn't, he didn't want his handwriting analyzed. Yeah. yeah. And then there was one more, um, and that happened in September of 1972, and this girl was also a high school student. She was 17. Um, she actually had left, and she went to her boyfriend's house, and then she was coming home from her boyfriend's house. Her boyfriend put her on the bus. She got on the bus, um, but she never came home. Um, and then after her parents reported her missing, they found her, again, dumped along a highway. So at this stage, they're like, the only... Um, the only suspects they really have for this, there was actually a gang of rapists and a bunch of them are in prison and they called them the green Vega rapists. Because they drove around in a green Vega. Um, so there were all of these like rapes and assaults like happening in this particular area. I don't think any of them were ever convicted of murder, but a bunch of them were convicted of, you know, various sexual assaults. So there was a whole bunch of them and they would drive around doing this. So a bunch of them were in a prison in Virginia and one of the gang members who was in the Green Vega gang said that um, that he knew who the Freeway Phantom was and he identified who it was. But then while the police were investigating it, apparently there was like some kind of election going on. Um, and so the guy that was like running for office came out and said, oh, we think we know who the Freeway Phantom is. We have a suspect. And then the inmate that had fingered the suspect came out and said, I never said that. So that was kind of all they had to go on. And uh, so that sort of went nowhere. Um, but that's kind of something that comes up a lot, you know, that they think that it was maybe one of this Green Vega gang. There were also a couple of cops, or I think they had once been cops. Um, I think their names are Tommy Simmons and Edward Sullivan. And they were actually convicted of murdering a 14-year-old girl named Angela Barnes. 
Um, so for a while, they thought maybe both of them or one of them was uh, was the Freeway Phantom. But after they figured out that Angela Barnes wasn't one of the Freeway Phantom Vicks, like the MO was different, so they thought maybe it wasn't them. But other than that, you know, like I said, it's probably likely that it's one of this Green Vega gang people because there was a whole bunch of them, um, you know, that, that went around raping people. But that that's about as far as they've gotten on that, as far as I know. But yeah, so another kind of relatively unknown serial killer, the Freeway Phantom. You don't hear a lot about him. No, you don't. And and the, the victims were, uh, they were, I think they were all African-American girls, right? They were, yeah. Yeah. Yep. All teenagers. And the yep. one, the one part that just blew my mind um, in that, when you, as you were talking about the Freeway Phantom in the book, was the guy, one of the victims, a guy found her like on the side of the interstate or something kind of like in a yeah. ravine or something or like a yep. a creek and like the cop that he calls the cops and the cops go over there and like they just drive by they don't even bother to get out of the car or even check or anything yeah they just half-assedly looked over there and go well i don't see anything let's go back to whatever it was i was doing napping in my squad car yeah but that, yeah so then the guy you know, so the guy was like, he's like, wow, I never heard about them finding a body or anything like that. So he's like tells I think he told his boss or something. And the boss like called the cops again. And they're like, hey, you guys want to go check that out? And, you know, so finally they go and actually look where the guy said the body was. And they're like, oh, there's a body here. And now it's like super decomposed. So amazing. Lost like so much evidence. I'm like, yeah, way to go. Did they, they didn't even care. Yeah, it's like they really didn't. And and a lot of articles I read about that said that because the victims were black girls, maybe the cops really didn't care. You know, maybe they didn't. It's just kind of like yeah. when prostitutes get murdered. It's just kind of like, oh, well, it's like they tr they kind of try to solve it, but not that, you know, not that stringently, I feel like. You know, maybe that's unfair, but it does kind of seem, it it does happens, kind of seem yeah, like absolutely. that in a lot of cases. Yeah. The, the Texas killing fields. Now, is this is something that, because um, I looked at the Wikipedia article about it, is this something that's still going on? Um, I think, yeah, it actually may be. But like I said, the Texas killing fields, um, I don't think, and I think most uh, investigators that are, you know, kind of, you know, uh, up on this case, I don't think it's one killer. I think it's just a kind of a question of this is a particularly good area yeah. to dump bodies and to pick people up. Because like I said, particularly in the seventies, you know, in the late sixties, early seventies, this was an area where a lot of people hitchhiked. There were a lot of people walking. It was kind of remote. Um, you know, there was only like, a, you know, a couple of highways going through there. So you could like just pick girls up, kill them and dump them. And like people wouldn't find them for years and years. So I feel like it was kind of a perfect storm of, you know, just like I like I said before, like stuff that serial killers like, you know, there's a lot there's a lot of victims in the area. There's a good dumping. It's, it's, nobody's around. So I kind of feel like this is at least it's at least two, if not more serial killers. And I don't know if all of them are necessarily related. Um, some of them, they think they know who did it, uh, but they don't really have the evidence to prove it. Um, I kind of started talking about because the Texas killing fields is such a huge, I mean, it's such a huge case and it involves not only uh, a bunch of murders. I mean, they found 30 bodies in there, I believe at this stage. Um, and countless disappearances, you know, bodies that have never been found. So it, since it's ongoing, like I only, I'm going to talk about it, you know, the stuff that happened in the eighties 
uh, and 90s I'm going to talk about in volume three whenever I get around to writing that. So in this volume, I only kind of talked about the, the girls that disappeared in the 70s. So there were actually, you know, there, there were enough of those, but like I said, there were more later on. Now, like I said, whether these are all related, I'm not really sure. They said a lot of the uh, victim profile was pretty similar. Like a lot of the girls, they were all aged between 10 and 25 years old. Um, a lot of them had similar hairstyles or like similar hair color, like similar physical type. Um, so, you know, those might've been the same person, but these were like, uh, the first one that they know of went missing was a 14 year old girl named Brenda Jones. And she went missing from Galveston, Texas in July of 1971. They found her body the next day. Um, then there was, uh, there, then there were two actually, or there was one named Colette Wilson. She was 13. Um, she also went missing in 1971. She was like, she was going to band practice or something like that. And her, her band, uh, director like dropped her off at a bus stop, like to get a bus. And before the bus came, she got kidnapped and, um, they didn't find her for five months. Uh, they found her body five months later. Um, then there was, uh, another 14 year old named Rhonda Johnson, um, and Sharon Shaw, these two actually were together. They were walking down a street in Galveston last time they were seen. Um, they found them like several months later. They were, uh, they were already skeletonized. Um, then there was a 19 year old from Houston. Um, then there was a 12 year old also from Houston. Um, there were a couple, actually the next ones that happened were Debbie Ackerman and Maria Johnson. These two girls were seen together. They were seen on November 15th, 1971, and they were in the parking lot of an ice cream shop and they were seen getting into like a van. And then they found them both together. Like a few days later, they were both dead. And there was also another girl named Kimberly Pitchford. She was also from Houston and she went missing in January, 1973 and was found a couple days later. Now these three, they think were maybe this guy named Edward Harold Bell. And he's in prison now for other murders. Um, but he actually wrote a letter to the police in 1998 and said that he had killed 11 girls like in the Galveston area. And he couldn't remember all their names um, and he couldn't remember like all their descriptions, but they think that he might've killed Debbie Ackerman, Maria Johnson, and maybe Kimberly Pitchford. So those three might have been solved. They don't have enough evidence to convict him necessarily. He's in prison for other things. But so a couple of these, they do have people that they think did some of them. So that's why I'm suspecting that this is more than one killer and probably more like three. I'm thinking it's at least like two or three of them. But yeah, there were a bunch of these. And like I said, uh, you know, I talked about um, all the way up to the girl that disappeared. Uh, there was a girl named Georgia Gear and uh, her friend Brooks Bracewell, who was 12, and Georgia Gear was 14. Now, they went missing in 1974, but their bodies weren't found until 1981. So those were the last two that I wrote about in this book. And then in the next volume, I'm going to like go on about them because there were a whole bunch more. Yeah, there's a there's a long list. Yeah, it's um, really long. The the Highway of Tears is very similar to this. Yeah, same kind of thing. And that happened in uh, British Columbia. Um, and that is actually, I, I don't know, I don't think it's still going on. I think the last official, quote unquote, Highway of Tears murders was in 2006. 
Um, and the weird thing about those is that they didn't really consider all these as one thing until like the mid 2000s. Like before that, they were kind of thinking, okay, well, there were these nine victims, um, almost all of them indigenous. Uh, like I said, this happened in British Columbia, Canada. There are a lot of actually First Nations, like right around the area, um, you know, this particular highway or stretch of highway. Um, so it's kind of a poverty stricken area. It's like a lot of people, um, you know, there's a lot of prostitution. There's a lot of people hitchhike because there's not really good public transportation in the area and whatnot. So it's kind of an, again, it's a kind of a serial killer hunting ground. It's easy to pick up victims. So they had had nine victims that had ha that had been killed between 1989, I believe, and 2006. But then when they decided to expand outward a little bit geographically, because at first when they talked about Highway of Tears, they were only talking about um, Highway 16, this particular 450-mile length of Highway 16. But then they said, oh, well, there's all these other, like all these First Nations group groups came forward and said, no, there's like so many more murders and so many more missing girls. You should kind of expand the area a little bit. So then they expanded the area to encompass this um, two other highways, um, I think it was Highway uh, 97, I want to say. Yeah, 97 and Highway 5. And once they did that, they found nine more going back all the way back to 1969. So at this point, um, the now all the First Nations kind of advocacy groups are saying we think it's more like 40. Um, officially, the tally is 18. Um, but there obviously could be more because some of them are just missing and they don't know where they are. I mean, these are just the ones where their bodies were found. But like I said, these are almost all, um, you know, the, the large percentage of them were indigenous women. They were usually just out hitchhiking. You know, they'd been out bar hopping or whatever, just doing stuff like, you know, normal young women would do and would, you know, they would disappear and then be found many years later, usually raped, strangled, sometimes stabbed. Um, so like I said, this, as far as I know, the last one was 2006 and they're still investigating this. But, um, again, I wrote up to, I think I wrote about seven of the victims, the ones that took place from like the sixties, you know, to the end of the seventies. So I've got seven of those of mine, but in the next book, I'm going to talk about, um, some of the later ones, but again, it seems like it's the same kind of thing. I don't think it's the same killer necessarily. It's just kind of an area that for whatever reason attracts serial killers or is attractive to multiple serial killers. Yeah. I'm looking here at Wikipedia and, um, there's, there's like a sign and there probably are several signs that warn girls not to hitchhike. Yeah. And they the have pictures of the victims. Signs. Yeah. It's, it's horrible. And it's like, it's weird because, uh, it seems like in the 60s and 70s, hitchhiking was just, con it was considered no big thing. I mean, it's just kind of like, and I mean, I grew up in the 70s and the early 80s and, you know, hitchhiking wasn't really a thing. I didn't hitchhike or anything like that, but, you know, people would, you'd walk to school, you'd be out all day outside. It's like your parents didn't know where you were. And I feel like that wasn't a big deal back then. You know, nowadays no one would yeah, I mean, no one would do that. It's like you know what I mean. It'd be like they'd be like, "You'll get murdered." In a lot of ways, yeah. Um, if the '60s and the '70s are any indication, yeah, you probably would get murdered because an alarming, alarming number of cases that I wrote about had to do with girls hitchhiking or just trying to get a ride with somebody or something like that. It's just you know, 
so dangerous. And I think they didn't really think of it as being dangerous back then, but it totally, totally is. Of course, we're all doing it now because you got Uber and Lyft. <laughs> like, we're all, like, basically hitchhiking. That's true. I, I wonder when the Lyft or okay. Uber serial killer is going to happen. Well, there was know, already that one guy in Michigan that shot all those people. He was an yeah. Uber driver. I would never use Uber or Lyft for that very reason. Really? Just, but if I was by myself. Yeah. If you, you, had you know too you. many stories. Gosh. Well, even like I didn't even like to I don't even like to walk down the street by myself. Like I'll walk around my neighborhood because it's pretty safe in here. But it's like I won't walk down the street by myself. Hell no. There are stories <laughs> like there was one that I heard. And this actually was a female um, Uber driver. She got this. She had her fare in the car. And uh, the, the girl was in the car and she's and she like drove past where she needed to turn down and just kept on driving and the girl got and she and she the girl said well you, you know you, that was you need to turn down there and like the girl didn't the woman didn't respond to her at all just kept on driving oh, and eventually the girl that, that was the writer jumped out of the car it's kind of <laughs> similar to like that that zodiac case where you know the girl and her uh the pregnant woman and the, her little and child her, her, were yeah. in the car yeah She's jumped the hell out of there. Well, someone could just drive around in like a, a busy part of town where all these people are getting picked up Uber and just have like a little Uber sign in the window and people just hop in. Yeah, I I, I did Uber one time and uh, they uh, I picked up the wrong people. <laughs> yeah, that's another thing. It's like yeah. you don't think about being like an Uber or Lyft passenger, but even being a driver and even like right. being a delivery driver is super dangerous too because you're just going to like random people's I houses. Know it. <laughs> Yeah, he knows there's, all about it. there's uh, there was that one I think in Chicago where this girl like killed a guy, like stabbed him in the back of the neck. <laughs> it was like it, it was a an Uber driver. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's but, like it's I'm sure it's rare, but it's like just hearing about it. It's like man, I don't want to leave my house ever. I, I, w- <laughs> I wanted to get your thoughts because just about everything that we've talked about tonight has been the violence against women. Yeah. And then it's just, and a lot of that is in the book. I mean, it's mostly women. Yeah. You know, I mean, what's your kind of personal thoughts on that as a woman? And then plus, what the hell's wrong with dudes? <laughs> I ask myself that question every single time. <laughs> <laughs> like, it really, like, reading this, yeah. Yeah. like, really makes you think about just, because we, guys, we, I think guys don't understand what it's like. You know, because yeah. there's very little in your two books that's dudes being killed by other dudes. It's always yeah. dudes. It's mostly dudes killing women. It's the thing about it is that dudes get murdered, too, obviously. But usually when a dude gets murdered, it's there's like a specific reason, like they got in a fight or, you know, in an argument or it was like a drug thing or, yeah. you know, there's like a reason it was like a jealousy kind of reason. It's like usually if. It's just like a random murder. Like, hi, I was just walking down the street and somebody walked up and stabbed me like they did to that little girl in New Jersey. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's almost always a woman. So I kind of feel like, and like you said, I feel like a lot of guys don't really understand. And it's funny because I was just, I was talking to Tom about this the other day. We were watching a movie. I think we were watching Terrifier. 
on Netflix. And there was like a scene where the two girls were in the car and this guy came out of the building, like just to smoke a cigarette or something like that. And they were like, look at that creep over there. And Tom was like, is that what you guys think? It's just like every time a dude walks out to like steps out of a building, like to smoke is, you know, look at that creep. And me and my friend Shauna were sitting there. We're like, yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> you. It's like you have yeah, to. You yeah. know that guy. You don't know if that dude's going to flip out or anything. I mean, it, you know, if I'm walking down the street and I see another woman, I don't specifically think, oh, that woman's going to flip out and murder me or anything like that. But, you know, because as a girl, particularly growing up, I mean, starting from when you're 10, 11 years old, you can't really walk down the street without some dude driving past in a car going, nice tits. You know what I mean? So it's like, you're always on guard, like all the time when you're outside, like I would get where I used to work, I would go to the Seven Eleven next door. And it's like, I just be getting coffee. And I'd like, you know, it's like one day I see some dude and he's like, I like your fingernails. And I was like, Oh my God, <laughs> like get me out of here. It's like you, no, is that and I was like I'm now I don't want to go back to my work because then that guy will know where I work and he'll know where my car is and it's oh, like what if he's God. waiting for me when I get off it's like and it's just like a constant thing that you have to think of all the time and like I said it's probably nothing's gonna happen but the one time that you let your guard down that's when it's gonna happen so you can't ever let your guard down and particularly me because I write about true crime and like crap like this does happen and it's rare I'm you know thankfully but I don't I don't want to be in that position where it's just like one time I'd be like, oh, I'm just, you know, overreacting or whatever. And then the dude's like Ted Bundy or something. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like you, you can't really let your guard down ever. And I do kind of feel like, like I said, particularly with these kind of just random murders, which is some dude that doesn't even know you and just decides he's going to do something. You know, when dudes get murdered, there's usually, like I said, a reason behind it, because there were I did find like a lot of unsolved dude murders. But most of them, they pretty much knew why the guy got killed. Like they were like, you know, he was, you know, a drug dealer or he had just had an argument with this other dude who probably killed him or it was like some kind of revenge thing. So I kind of wanted to I didn't mean for it to like skew, you know, so overwhelmingly toward female victims. But it seemed like most of the male victims, they pretty much knew the motive if they didn't know exactly who did it or they couldn't prove who did it, there was a reason. So I kind of wanted to kind of explore more creepier murders. And to me, creepier means random, like just some guy decided he was going to kill somebody and you just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time or, you know, stalker type murders. Because to me, that's creepier. Like if, if I know the reason, it's not quite as creepy. And like the serial killers that we know about who were, you know, killing mostly men, there was there was a sexual component to the most of them too. Like exactly. Were, yeah. Dahmer, exactly. Yeah, yeah. John Wayne Gacy. Yeah. Yeah. And the, like the family murders in Australia, um, you know, Bevan oh, Spencer. And, um, yeah. Those were horrifying. And yeah, even though he only got convicted of one of those, they think that he probably had something to do with all the other ones. And those were just like horrific. But like you said, there was a sexual component to those as well. So that that's what I mean. There's always some kind of sexual component, even if the victims aren't raped that there's usually some type of sexual component to the crime. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was talking to a female friend of mine, you know, and um, she's telling me about how she tells her daughters, you know, walk with your keys, like in your, in your, between your fingers, you know, so that if somebody yep. does come up, you can stab them with your keys, at least try to hurt them. Yeah. And I remember just, when the 
Yeah, it's terrible. It's like I remember when I was in, I think I was in junior high school, and we actually had um, a little assembly, and all the girls went into the gym, and there was a cop, and he was like telling girls, like, and we were what, like 11 maybe? And he was like telling you like self-defense techniques, and that was the key was one of them. And he said, um, you know, he's like, he would go for the eyes, you know, grab their balls, twist and yank. I still remember twist and yank. Um, you know, <laughs> he was showing you like where on the neck, like to stab them with keys, like stick them in their ear, stick them in their yeah. eyeballs, yeah. you know. And it was so they were telling like eleven-year-old girls this stuff, and I still remember that vividly to this day. It was only girls in the assembly. We we thought we were going to go talk about our periods or something, but that wasn't <laughs> what that was about. <laughs> that's good. They didn't do that more often. I think that's a really good idea. We, we had that talk too but you know <laughs> yeah i'm just like uh, until like one of us like gets too close to a woman that thinks we're trying to do something we get twisted and yanked yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'm not doing anything ah! <laughs> yeah but yeah i mean as, as guys just so hard we really don't have that conception we really don't understand it until reading something like this and it's just like good lord yeah i feel i feel like you know and i don't want to sound like you know you guys don't know our pain or anything like that but it, it does seem to be something that guys don't really think about they can just like wander carefree through the world and like not really worry about anything sure. and i i really never felt like i had that luxury like i always have to be looking around like who's that over there what's that guy doing you know, yeah. is that guy going to say something? What's what does that mean? That's weird. And then you, you know, also get, you also have to worry yeah. about like going to bars and getting stuff your drink spiked and shit like that. You know, it's just and I, yeah, I've had that happen scary. two times. I've had that happen two times. Really? Yes. Yep. That was that was a fun experience. Luckily, both times I was with people that saved me that like pulled me out before and i've also been at parties where i stupidly got really drunk and fell asleep and uh -huh. things like that so you know and it, you really shouldn't do that type of thing because if something bad happened then of course it'd be all your fault but um you know what i mean but luckily the the one time that happened nothing bad happened because again i had a friend there that was like hey let's i'm gonna lock her in here so nobody does anything <laughs> you know what i mean Jeez. but you always have to have that you always have to have somebody have your back because you're right. you never you can't relax ever. <laughs> you have to be ever vigilant. <laughs> That's scary. It really is. Um, well, Jenny, thank you so much for doing this, for doing this second part. Um, tell people where they can get the book and uh, all your other wonderful books and your podcast. Well, the easiest thing to do would be to go to Amazon, you know, that little site, and just put in my name, Jenny Ashford, and all my books will come up. I swear that I'm actually working on the audiobook version of Faceless Villain Volume 2. It's just taking way, way longer than I thought because, like I said, technical issues that always spring up every time I do one of these. But, um, you know, the first volume's out in audiobook, and the second volume's out in print and ebook and all that. And uh, like I said, all my books are on Amazon, very easy to find. And if you want to listen to our podcast, it's called The 13 O'Clock Podcast. And uh, it's on YouTube, so you can search it on YouTube. We also have, uh, we opened up a new channel on BitChute a little while ago. Not all the episodes are on there, but, um, you know, most, I think the last 20 or so are up there. And, um, you can also listen. It's on iTunes and stuff like that if you just want the audio version. The video version is more fun, I think. 
but I do an audio version as well that's on iTunes and all the other podcast places. Yes, with uh, Mr. Tom. With Mr. Tom. <laughs> Before we wrap up, I wanted to add, I think you would really be good at selling a house to a serial killer because you'd like tell him about the neighborhood. It's, it's, it's great. It's got high prostitution, uh, places to dump bodies. Uh, <laughs> right? It's like very high fences. No one will see what you're doing. You can bury all these bodies in your yard and no one will know anything <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> all right jenny stay on the line for us we're going to close this section out and guys we'll be back close out the show on conspiracy the end of the world the battle of armageddon horror of nuclear war the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. The elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth and the works that are therein shall be burned. Fire, smoke, and pillars of smoke. The elements shall melt. The elements shall Okay, well, we just had a marathon. Yeah, yeah. Because we did the about hour and a half with Jenny, and then we got on, I think, for another like 30, 40 minutes, and we got Tom, and we did another Patreon-only episode with them. Yes, sir. So that should be up around the time that this episode is up for our Patreons. And we got into like UFOs, yeah, Hellraiser, Dune, and the election in Brazil. So we'll get to hear Tom's um, viewpoint on the election in Brazil because he lived down there for for a number of years. And uh, I just wanted to get his get his thoughts on it. Um, Do you have any thoughts on all this stuff that's going on right now? With uh, we had this, you know, I don't want to dwell too much on it, but like the. The shooting at Pittsburgh and uh, oh yeah, we this whole bomb, week. this whole bomb thing, and you know I don't know, you know of course this is going to post in a week, so who knows what else is going to happen. Um, uh, we got some like some bad shit that's been happening in the last couple of weeks. I think uh, I wasn't really expecting it, but I think people really didn't think trump was just going to keep doubling down like he has you know i mean it's it's not gonna stop as far as he's not going to try to uh be the uh be the voice of reason or like really distance himself from things or yeah come out and say you know that look everyone we need to chill out and you know no matter how if this you know, if that many people getting murdered like that won't change it, then he, you know, it's gonna, it's gonna keep happening. And there's been a lot of, you know, talk, and and of course the the guy who shot the synagogue wasn't a Trumper, but like, right. but like a lot of these, you know, extremists and white nationalists, racists, 
they see Trump as a useful tool and as kind of like a front to get people politicized and then take them further into their extremes. So do you think that he emboldens them? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Do you think, well, do you think that uh, he knows that he knows that he emboldens them or do you think he just says whatever he wants to say and that's it he's I like, don't he see I don't he see how he couldn't know yeah. that I mean I think he's pretty blind in a lot of ways but how can you not I don't know it's weird how man. could you not know it yeah you know I don't know I mean it's it's been a weird it's been a weird week well, and um, now, and you know, now he's saying that he can, uh, he wants to do an executive order to re- revoke naturalized citizens. And yeah, which I don't know that's going to fly or not. Yeah, it won't. I mean, all this is really I mean, that's about, the Fourteenth uh, Amendment, man. Yeah, and all this is really about this is these are the tests of our republic of the system. Yeah, you know, this is what it's supposed to be designed for. So, and I'm not just picking on a Republican, you know, but it's, it's sad that the people who were concerned about these executive overreach issues during the Obama years are now, you know, very silent about Trump, of course, but it usually goes both ways like that. So whatever, same old bullshit. Right. If it's our guy, then it's okay. If it's not, then it's not okay. And that's the part of the problem is that people think that when, you know, I mean, the investment of the executive branch with a great deal of power hasn't been going on for a long time. And each administration has set the groundwork for the next. They've inched a little bit here, a little bit there, and then the next one comes in and picks it up. So they complained about, there's a lot of complaints about Obama and what he did. And, you know, I remember guys like Dinesh D'Souza really getting on to Obama, talking about he like he overstepped a lot of his power in the Constitution when, you know, Bush had done it, Clinton had done it as well. And... But then they were okay once all that apparatus and all that precedence got handed over to Donald Trump. Yeah, which is the reason why no matter what side of the spectrum you're on, you should not want anybody to to build on this executive overreach because then the people you don't like are going to use yeah. it. <laughs> it's just... You know. And we're in danger of the possibility of the legislative branch just becoming a blank check. Yeah. In some ways, it already is. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I don't know what's going to happen with this election. I'm not, you know, I went out, I voted today, and, you know, I'm not, I'm not confident. I'm honestly not confident that Democrats are going to take the House. I don't think they're going to take Congress. I don't think it's going to be the blue wave that everybody says it's going to be. I just, and I'm also not confident that the Democrats are going to do anything to help anybody. I think it's just going to be if they just get back in power, it'll be just their business as usual. They're only concerned about themselves and their party, just like the Republicans are concerned about themselves and their party. And meanwhile, everybody else in the middle is just kind of just stuck. Yeah. 
we're stuck in the same situation nothing is really like like have our lives honestly changed in any real way because trump is president or because obama is president you know has it has it changed like no situation hasn't changed which is why i still believe in you know doing things on like a local level but you know it, it just hasn't it just hasn't changed and yeah, so there's been so many things like this, you know, this, the bombs that went out, all these Democratic people that didn't go off, and all this suspicion that that's uh, a false flag, which now, you know, you've got half of the country that thinks that it was a false flag the Democrats did themselves, and half of the country that that thinks that it wasn't, and like you're not going to be able to change anybody's mind either way on either of those sides, and so the polarization continues. It doesn't matter or not whether it was a false flag or he actually did it, because the people that believe it are just going to believe what they're told on the media. Well, it's I just I don't understand how. I mean, I guess I do understand, but this. I think there's a real lack of uh, self-consciousness going on in the right right now because it's so on fire. And, you know, they're going to if you if that is your political agenda, then and you want to advance it, then you're going to have to help rein in some of these crazies because it's going to be bad for your agenda. You can't just, you know, it's terrible for, you know, if this was happening on the other side. Could you imagine the kind of damage control that the Democratic Party would be, you know, trying to do if there was any kind of, you know, real like left wing uh, potential terrorism, domestic stuff? I mean, they would. Yeah. And it's really just not a concern to them, I feel like, to the right wing. It's not even like they don't have to. No, because they're (laughs) winning. Yeah. But it's it's really kind of blowing my mind. I don't know. Like, yeah. I mean, they're they're in power and they're winning, and they they don't they don't care. I mean, uh, there's people that don't see that uh, their words are going to have some kind of consequence, and you're going to get some true believer that's going to go out and do what the guy in Pittsburgh did. Okay, he doesn't like Trump, but he's still obviously an anti-Semite to do what he did. And he did it because he felt that the Jews were behind the whole caravan thing. Right. Because you've got this Jewish organization that uh, is a Jewish charity that has been around since the 19th century that helps out refugees. Mm -hmm. And he believes, okay, well, the Jews are behind it, so I'm going to go just kill some random ones in my own hometown. And he's part of all these online communities. And But, know. man, you got so much craziness on the left, too. It's unbelievable. Yeah, but it's not. no one's doing this yet. And I'll, yeah. I'm not saying it won't eventually start happening. Just wait, because but. I honestly think that, like, that if, if, if they, they, they lose this election... And especially if they lose again to Trump, Trump gets reelected in twenty twenty. They're going to go ape shit. We'll see, man. It's bad. <laughs> All around bad. 
We had all this murder in the first part of the show. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a real good goodness. one. It's real. It's really uh, feel good. It's really edifying. Well, okay, but uh, if you would like to hear more, <laughs> keep us afloat, and you would like to hear some extra interviews, you can go to www.patreon.com slash conspiratormal and uh, hook us up. Help us get back to $100, guys, because apparently we lost three more dollars. So, I'm hoping that, uh, you know, the show pays for itself, but I'd like to do more and actually pay Serfiel and Rob. That might be nice for them. Uh, We're going to go on strike. I don't, I don't really want to have to sell mattresses, guys. Mattresses are razors. Which apparently is really popular among podcast podcasters these days to advertise. I don't want to have to sit here and say, I really love this mattress I got that folds out into the shape. Feel free to send us samples, though. I mean, Yeah, you know, if you want to send us a mattress, go right ahead. So next time, uh, Aaron Gullius is coming back on, and we're going to talk about his book on conspiracies. And uh, looking really forward to this one as well. So I think uh, that's it, Sergio. Unless you got anything else you want to add? No, no. All right, and uh, we will be Robless again next week, but uh, I'm sure that he will be back at uh, some point to uh, man the show. So join us next time, guys, on Conspiranormal. know how to book flights and hotels all you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive that's why you need viator book guided tours excursions and more in one place there are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from so you can find something for everyone and viator offers free cancellation and 24 7 customer support for worry-free travel download the viator app now and use code viator 10 for 10 percent off your first booking in the app find travel experiences for you do more with viator sick of being upsold at gyms my guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.